All right, what's up, everybody? This is A7X Fan Ben, and this is Pirate CSG Podcast number 64. Extremely happy to welcome back uh, Mike Mulvihill. So we get to have another awesome, epic discussion about Pirate CSG and how great it is. So thanks for coming back on. That's great. I'm gl- I'm super glad to. Thanks for the continued invite. And uh, I have, uh, I'm, if anybody's still listening to my voice after everything I already said, that's uh, that's on you, people. It's not on me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. So we still got a bunch of awesome questions to go through. So we'll just jump right into it where sure. we left off last time. So what advice? <laughs> what well, advice would you give to community members who are designing their own pirate scheme pieces or even full sets? So that, I think we talked about it a little bit last time. So I, I, I'll say it again. The the key to uh, well, the key to WizKids's formulas uh, across all the various things that we did because we had, had found this formula to work is our formula. You can break it. You can easily give a ship, you know, five L and you know a bunch of other stuff, and it could push this system to its extreme or even you know just break the math i mean it's it's a you know it's a technically a system that takes the you know uh takes the top end and kind of squishes it so that everything could you know be achieved within a game you didn't want ships that were off um coming at it you know now all these years later with more and more stuff the key is to try to maintain that because if you break that system, um, that kind of like math shell, if you will, um, then you just start breaking the game. Stuff just starts to fall apart. It's a very, I want to say house of cards because obviously we did real well with it. And, you know, WizKids has done real well with it uh, on the, on the, uh, on the, like the, the, the collectible figure side. But, I just, you know, there's a thing of saying, like, I really want to do this. And then also kind of from a, you're, uh, as a game developer for multiple companies and a game designer on my own, the number one advice I give when I was teaching and the hardest advice to take is, is sometimes you have to throw out something that's really cool to make it work holistically with the rest of the pieces. That's really the only advice I give. I mean, have fun with it. Just do whatever, do things that are cool, but understand that at some point you're going to discover, holy crap, I broke my system. (laughs) (laughs) Or this ship that I really want to do doesn't fit anymore. Or when I make these decisions or add, let's say, crew members that do super unique things, they may be outside the realm of where the game was so if you're going to be like i know you sent me t- uh stuff on the um what's it called sorry i'm gonna udc system yeah. um that could work and it could work fine and it could be really robust i i don't know it very well so i can't really speak on it but the bottom line is all systems like that all of the mathematical based systems where it's not just eyeballing things to see what fits and what works um you you end up with that that dynamic. It's the difference between quote unquote like the magic system or the the Pokemon system where where they 
they put a card in and they go, this would be a really cool card to do this thing. And then when it doesn't work, they just ban it in tournament play, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, you could still get it. We never did that because we had faith in our mathematical formula to make sure that everything was balanced against all the other things. But math is just math at that point, you know. Uh, we had, like I said, a shell, a closed shell that we kept sliding different parts in and different things and tried to value things against, like I said, I think last last time against a standard middle-of-the-road ship that said, here's your average Joe, and all the ships are either better or worse than average Joe, and then how much better or worse than average Joe. But... You can make a ship that's so much better than average Joe that it it goes off it falls off the edge of the scale and then then it's like what do you do do you in our case if it was me and I had a ship um, that that was like just not fitting right or it was too expensive or it didn't really fit um, how the rest of the game worked I'd have to change it in some way which is why I say it's always hard to change something that's really that you really like or really cool in order to fit because the goal was not to uh have i mean people will probably accuse me of lying right now but the goal is not to have massive amounts of design creep we tried to go wide if you will you know we went okay we have the shell well let's push the shell wider and wider as opposed to pushing it further uh, out you know what i mean like into the it broke. Now you could say maybe in doing it wider, we broke it on some levels as well. And that may be the case. I, I, I can't recall that being the case, but I know for like a parallel system, we ran into that a lot with, with hero clicks and we ended up having to change a lot of stuff in hero clicks because it was, it, it, it was mage Knight, especially the original mage Knight, Cause it was built to do a very specific thing with a limited number of pieces. And then we, became such a hit we kept building more and more and so when i was working on that that was our biggest thing i mean it was like how do we fit some of this stuff in our spreadsheets didn't work the way we needed them to work because they were never built for you know 10 different factions they were only ever built for four <laughs> and that same kind of thing happened in pirates except with pirates we knew right away because we saw what happened with Mage Knight and what was happening with Heroclix, we went, well, we, we're going to need more factions. We just don't know what they are now. So we got to make sure that we value them correctly, which is why, you know, in a lot of ways, the later the later factions, the, the, the South China Pirates or the Norse Pirates or uh, the... Um, the, uh, uh, yeah, the Cursed, maybe. Stuff like that. The, the, less the Cursed. The Cursed would have fallen, maybe, maybe the Cursed a little bit. Um, I think the cursed used the pirate model, um, but the other ones, it's like, you know, how many, you know, how many degrees of separation do you give the Spanish versus the Norse, you know, or the, you know, it, it, and so then you start to go, okay, well, really, maybe their crew is cheaper, you know, or maybe something else, you know, they're just, the, the South China Sea, I think their their crew was a little nudge cheaper because that we just figured they had so many of them that they were not specialized. They were more indentured servants kind of thing. So we were like, okay, well, maybe they're a little cheaper because, but then you can't make them not as good. And, you know, because there's only so much you can play with, you know, in the game. And so you start making... You start going, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> you let yeah. you kind you kind of go for the sake of the mathematical temple. You start to make decisions, 
you know, and we never were in a position where we can go back to something like what you guys are doing now with your with your uh, UDC or like creating your own ships outside the system and and justify everything on a giant line because one we never could you know it was never never once did a boss say to me in my roles hey mike take six months off and justify everything you did over the last you know five sets of pirates it was like when's the next set coming out dude and so it was like okay great so you know you start to use your your focus is forward and not backwards um we just never had the ability to do that and and kind of reevaluate or or relaunch. I mean, that's what you do when like Mage Knight had its second edition and and Hero Clicks had its second edition, and now I guess I don't know how many editions it on. But with Pirates, we just we never got that far. You could say we did story wise when we started to do like the cursed and the and the kind of like IP driven stuff that we talked about last time. But from a mechanical standpoint, we never went back. You know, we use yeah. the same same system from day one to you know end times. You know, of the of the official sets. So you know, taking a step back and doing it what you guys are doing, you're probably going to find all kinds of flaws in the system because now it's been out for a long time, and there's a lot of things that you can compare A to B and say, hey, I want to make a new crew member and you're like looking at it going the crew member numbers don't make sense to me currently and you're like that's i'm not going to say you're wrong you know <laughs> it may they may not have withstood time and and additions and new strategies i mean when you know when we played we didn't you know there was a, just talking to somebody about this ironically just the other day when we did our stuff and when we made this game, the input back to us was, you know, yes, the Internet existed, but the Internet was not used the way not then the way it is used now. So the 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 direct discussion, the the um, chats, if you will, or the posting of stuff, that's all new. I mean, that's new after pirates happened. So if people were playing in a certain way. If I didn't see it firsthand or a playtester didn't mention it to me, we never knew, you know. Um, and so it was hard. So, you know, the, the it was kind of a it's working. Don't don't question it kind of mindset yeah. about like the mechanics and the numbers and all that stuff. It was like, you know, like I when I did that big giant um, Chinese junk ship, I was so worried that it just I didn't know how to make the game work with it. It was out of its scale. Its points were high. We had to create a kind of almost like a sub-scenario for it to even exist. Now, I had done that with Heroclix. Um, I was the guy who made Superman 201 points in a 200-point game. You know? Um, but... It, it, you know, when you when you, that was that was kind of like there's nobody can beat Superman kind of feeling, you know, and that was a kind of like an inside joke and the hero clicks people like went nuts. And that was all positive looking to kind of capture that, in a, you know, bottle again for that giant junk ship. But at the same time, I was like, we don't have there's no flexibility here. You know, I mean, yeah, we can go to a 40 point game or a fifth. What we really just have to say is, hey, if you're going to play this play this bigger point game and mm -hmm. good luck out there to you know we didn't have there was no ramification that we would we were breaking our own game because it 
you know, we didn't have the input. We didn't have people coming to us saying, you're breaking your own game, and now, you know, we're, you're ruined. It was it was just, you know, hey, it's a, a new game piece. And that was, I mean, people who played video games could tell you all kinds of stories about stuff like that. People who played any of the collectible games. I mean, the, the you know, people who play Magic and, and have been around for that long, uh, they could tell you a, a zillion horror stories about people breaking their own games and then trying to figure out what to do afterwards. We just figured it was a one-off and people would enjoy it or not enjoy it. And then we would just move on, but we didn't ever go back and redo the math. So the fact long me rambling, the fact that you guys are actually doing that is, is pretty cool. I, I don't have any, I, I looked at it real quick. I couldn't tell you if the numbers were correct or not correct. I don't recall them. I could tell you uh, that they, you know, that if if it balances out to our, so that when you take a ship that you've made and it feels right in with the ships that were already made, you know, more power to you. I mean, that's that's awesome. If it doesn't, sometimes you just gotta let stuff go and and maybe make it two different ships or change it or or something like that. Um, but you know. Uh, that was kind of, I mean, it looks like just looking at the, at the initial stuff that's in this document, it looks like somebody tried to say, let me find a basic ship and do it, which is really what we did, you know, exactly. uh, find yeah. a basic ship, um, uh, uh, and, and say, okay, here's a basic ship. The, the, the variable that makes it tougher for people doing that is that we value the powers as well. And so, you know, you'd have to find a base. We didn't do any ships. I don't think. Did we do any ships that have no abilities? Yeah, those are... The SimCost uses those five. Oh, okay. Yep, and there's six of them there. Yeah, you know, and then that was basically... uh, That's how that worked. So the fact that that people out there, when I say you and I say guys, I don't mean you specifically ben and only men i mean people when people out there are doing that that's really cool uh that's awesome i can't i will support that you know and because there's no other structure in the sense that there's no like if there's an official tournament then you guys make your own rules up there's nothing being dictated by uh you know the man saying here's what an official tournament means if you're just you know gonna play over a weekend and you're going to have a winner stand at the end as the guy who you know won the most battles or game or gained the most treasure you know and you're using homemade ships or our ships or ones i designed or ones that came after me it's that's doesn't matter at that point is are you having fun playing the pirate game and if you are then uh uh you know uh then success still exists out there (laughs) Yeah, that answers the second question too about the sim cost and UDC. Um, I've heard sim cost might be a little bit more accurate, but they're both pretty interesting methods. I haven't used either one. Usually, when I make custom ships, I just kind of go based on feel because I've kind of unintentionally memorized a lot of the stats and abilities from ships throughout um, all the sets. So now, I kinda... now you're now you're scaring me. That's uh, scary <laughs> not even on purpose. Just yeah. going through like my collection and trades and playing yeah, a lot. And, and so. that's, it's funny. Because um, when people would come over to uh, uh, – um, that's not true. Let me 
it's it's funny that you say it that way because that's that is the basically they're they're not diametrically opposed. They actually work real well together yeah. if you embrace them uh, equally. But that's the that's the um, the yin yang of um, of uh, what WizKids did at, um, was we went with this point cost system. Um, it came out of you know, uh, if, I'll be perfectly honest, for anybody who doesn't know kind of little mini history of WizKids per se, WizKids came out of the frustration of having uh, a Warhammer army that you had to assemble and paint and then only paint the ones that you wanted to use, even if there was a cooler one, because you couldn't fit it in an army. That's where WizKids started. It's what Mage Knight was supposedly to go up against was that kind of Warhammer closed model of I'm putting together a 3,000 point Imperial army um, and I uh, have to now build and paint all these figures in order to play, you know, and we made the goal for Mage Knight was what if we took away the painting and the building and all you had to do was make an army. If that's your already, if that's your company's uh, reason to be, if you will, then everything that you do pretty much after that is going to be in that same model, if you will. And so that's what it was. It was um, every system came down to having a point thing. If your model is more like the collectible card games that came out around that same time, which was um, uh, what they call a hockey stick of curve. You know, it's everything starts is as things escalate, other things need to escalate as well so that um, the the base is, is flat and then the escalation is like a hockey stick. It kind of just goes up on an angle. So if a card is, you know, uh, you know an 8-8 eight, eight super attack card with a huge ability that costs, it needs to cost more to get into play, and then it becomes an eyeballing thing, like you said, of like, eh, I know all the cards, this is an okay card, but I don't know if it needs to be here. You know, I think it could come down in cost or something. And it's so it's it is in fact eyeballed through knowledge, um, and and in the space. And if you get it wrong, like I said earlier, there's always like a bank card. The point cost thing. The bottom line is, unless you get it really wrong, like hey, it's a five mass ship and it costs three. Um, <laughs> you know, you you don't have that because your point engine flags that immediately and goes you got a horribly built ship here it's violating the you know it's really a you know a 12 point or a 15 point ship not a three point ship and so your system is basically you're plugging in the data and in both work they obviously <laughs> you guys are still playing this game and people are still playing hero clicks so and people are definitely still playing warhammer and and, and all that kind of stuff so the the two systems exist we were the first ones to take it kind of mass if you will if you know in a in a broader sense warhammer is warhammer but it's very much a um what we would call like a hobby game you know it's it's just it's you know usually not in target or walmart or stuff and that was the kind of the goal was to cross over with the ips that we had at WizKids, and then we just kept using it for all their other games and it like i said there's a value in it. It's just, uh, you know, it's how you how you believe games should be built. And then, like, in, neither one is correct either. That's the, my favorite part about it. It's like if you build something and you eyeball it and you play it, you're like, oh, that's cool. Uh, that works. 
And then sometimes you eyeball it and you play it and you're like, oh my God, that's horrid. Or the other way around is you eyeball it and you don't have any numbers that you're doing just other cards. It it works on both sides. So yeah. uh, it's a cool system. So it's cool that you said that because that's that's really the, the divider line, if you will. A yeah. point-based system versus a eyeballing system. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think the toughest part about it is when you introduce brand new abilities or concepts into the game like some of the custom abilities that people have created there's not really playtesting out there yet for a lot of the customs that have been made so then it's a matter of has this been exploited can it be exploited would this break the game if we played a thousand games we might never see it in the first five games we might be like oh yeah that's good let's put it in the set but then but then the community might run with it and be like wait this doesn't work at 80 points yeah that's a that's a really a clear-headed thought you just said because i don't know that people think this way um and that is like yeah when i play test a game now you know it's 25 30 people maybe they're grind testing so they're doing you know x number of games but they there's a play pattern to their lot to their games they're going to play a game in a certain way and then they're going to uh do that and that's going to be how they play um, and then they're going to find things that are broken and I can suggest things like, Hey, this time play it this way, or this time only use these pieces or something like that. So like in something like pirates in the early days when we were play testing in the office, you know, I knew, I knew Seth, who you met Seth Johnson, a great game designer. He's tends to be a conservative game player. I tend to be what I tend to play, like whatever I feel like I need to test right there. So I don't even care if I win or lose. I just want to see if the thing I want, the thing in my head will break the thing that's happening. So I'm like kind of chaotic, if you will, in, in my play test. But there are other people who are hardcore aggressive, like they're going for the victory, regardless, even in a testing scenario. Well, we could play together 50 times, but those play patterns are going to be the same play patterns. Seth's not going to not be defensive. I'm not going to be doing something just to test a mechanic. And that other guy's not going to do something so that he can say he finished the game and won. Which is weird because we're play testing, but that's how people's heads are. And you could go in and I can make armies that I need tested, but they're going to play the pattern in in way that they play games because that in, they're enjoying that. So no matter how many play tests, it's why like when a computer game goes out and people are going, oh, it's so buggy. They didn't test those things. Well, they may have. They just didn't test it with a million people online at one time, you know, (laughs) or, you know, they they tested, like you said, like 10 games or 50 games or 100 games. They didn't test a thousand an hour. And and that's where, uh, you know, stuff comes out in the wash like you'd be like oh my god this is not working at all or or whatever uh so that's actually a really good point by you i mean testing is testing but nothing nothing can even compare to it being in the public's hands and them playing it because one i say this all the time you're not shipping me to your house to make sure you're playing it right that's the other thing people could be playing it however they want and say hey this isn't working right and then you're like what's not working and they tell you you're like you're not even playing the game right so of course it's not working (laughs) you know you have everything from that extreme to people who will literally be able in their brain to min max the numbers and have memorized everything within the first hour of a game coming into their home and already have strategies 
and I can't play. I, you know, and, and so you're in this, this weird thing of we're making a thing, we're testing it to make sure at its core it works, you know, and then and 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 try to cover as many play patterns as we think it could cover, but we can't cover them all and we can't find all the mistakes. You know, I, I just saw a thing that uh, was a post. My wife is a, a editor, um, and she saw a thing that a post on Facebook that was like, you know, I want to have the determination of a typo that went through 48 edits before it went out to the public. And it's just like, that's the truth. You know, we could all see it. Then you see it, and you go, oh, I would have caught that. And I'm like, probably not, but whatever, yeah. you know, but, but it's just, that's just the nature of doing these kinds of things. We have no idea. Like now, I mean, talking to you now is just blows my mind. I tell, been telling everybody, by the way, just so you know, Ben, nice. that, like there's this guy and he's, I'm inter he's interviewing me. He's talking about the pirates game. And <laughs> I, like, you know, the fact that it lasted this long says we did a pretty decent job on the, you know, on the, on the, on the foundation of everything. You know, yep. the fact that, you know, are there parts that are probably crumbling? I would say I would just assume. But the fact is that we did, must have done a pretty good job of the foundation that it's still playable, still fun, still does all this kind of stuff all these years later. And we must have done something right because people are using it to build their own stuff off of it. And that's even cooler to me because I just never I never looked that far in advance. You know, uh, yeah. I, was, I was talking to my wife just before we came on, and, and I was saying that the craziest thing is, is I'm talking to a guy who picked the game up towards the end of the game's life, who's still playing it constantly, and all I ever thought about was, oh, my God, I got to get the next set out. You know, I didn't look at it from you know, what's going to be like 10 years down the line. I mean, I don't look at any of my games that way. But, you know, I have had a few that have lasted a pretty long time which means that i must be doing all right at some level there and the team must be doing pretty good at that level and uh you know i can't necessarily say all my games have survived that much because in most cases i i don't know but it's it's kind of cool to see that although i ha you know i'm the first to admit that there's probably stuff falling off the edges of the uh you know the cliffs because you know they were not as checked as well i think we talked about play testing last time and and all that stuff yeah. and you know, uh, it's just it's just interesting to me that it exists. I mean, I would use it, I would play test it so very different if we were doing it now. But, you know, at that time, that was like we were I thought we were being innovative. You know, yeah. <laughs> we were just we were just floundering, like <laughs> trying to get product out. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, though. It's a lot different when you're under like work deadlines and there's other games you're working on. It's a totally different mindset than the hindsight is always 2020. So, but you know, I mean, just your, 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 your point was well taken in the sense that, you know, uh, when you start to build a point system uh, or using points to define your game, it does need, I think a little bit more diligence on the testing front and on the, on the math front and the, and the, uh, ability to go back and change stuff uh, that you thought was core because the, the because you're not making one thing you're making a, a system if you will so if I was making a one-off pirate game and we use this this would be no problem but the fact that we are creating a system for future pirate things it's like I said Mage Knight suffered this pretty hardcore in the beginning because when they made it 
they only made it to have X number of factions in it, and all of a sudden, in the in the last X number of sets, they in fact the, the initial designer for Mage Knight. I, I know this isn't a Mage Knight thing, but he, once we came out with his initial three sets, he thought the game was done. Huh. You know, and so we ended. You know, and it was like, wait, you know, kind of almost not not in the Jordan way about like the the fiction part. Like he just thought we've made all the pieces that fit this math model. And we're like, yeah, that's great. That's pretty nice of you to say that. But here, Mike's going to take over and we're going to make 20 more sets. So, <laughs> you know, he and I talked to him a lot about, it, you know, afterwards. I'm like, why did you think that? He's like, because this set that we this math, it was like, it's a very his that was a very close system and very easy to break. And down the line, it ended up it, end, it ended up breaking. Um and that we needed to come out with a V2 to, to, to fix some of the stuff. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 that's the issue with a, a closed math system is you got to make sure it's a system, if you will, as opposed to just for individual things. And that's where the testing gets a little bit rough. And you just need to be consistent with it um, and just, you know, Okay, what happens if we put out, you know, a one-point ship, and now in a game you have forty-one-point ships? You know, <laughs> does that fit the system? You know, or does that break everything? And can a forty-one-point ship win the game? You know, uh, against regular ships, or you know, the other side where it's one ship and it's thirty-eight points, and you know, and a crew guy, you get that. The system has to actually survive both those extremes. And uh, that's a tougher test path than just eyeballing it and going, hey, I think this shit fits, <laughs> yeah. you know, and because if it doesn't fit, then you don't use it or you, you fix it or you don't play it anymore. But a system, you can't go, OK, from now on, no ships under five points. You're like, what? That doesn't even make any sense. So from a design game design theory standpoint, they have both successes and failures, but one is. And and one may seem easier on the front end, but it has the potential to break things on the back end. The other one is like, oh my god, you have to test and test and test um, early on. Which is why when we talk about like the Dutch and how the system worked, they were so wrong with the math on that one, and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Their ships were what they could do in the game and what they were valued for. We would have had to value them so high. And all of a sudden now we're 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 basically changing our system for a faction or for a, a, a philosophy that the system didn't exist for. So yeah. it was like, what do we do? Do we go back to ground one and reinvent this whole thing? Or do we just go, you know what? Let's just cut this faction. It's this 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 math loop, if you will. Let's just edit out this math loop. It's not working for us. It's it's changing the values of everything in the game. Because it's doing something that every every other part of the game is is working, and you're like, okay, well, you know, yeah, that's that's bad, you know. <laughs> so let's take those ships out, let's reconfigure them into the normal system, and then just reassign them to other 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 fleets. But the fact of the matter is, is that that was that was a perfect example of what you were just talking about of of making sure you're your math existed over time because if you valued those ships and what they can do in the system we had one no one would play them they're just off off scale and 
And two, if you did play them, you're like, why am I, you know, that's crazy. They're always winning. It doesn't really make sense. And under the, under the caveat, you know, the structure of the game system. So, you know, when it's all said and done, you got to do that. You got to pull that trigger. They may have been cool. They may have been fun. They may have been interesting. But the bottom line is they broke the game, you know, yeah. and they broke the math of the game. And that's even worse than breaking the game because the math has to exist for the next like I said, at that point, we knew we were going to make expansion. So, you know, you know, it, it just broke on that part. And it's just like, we got to change something. One of these two things has to change and we don't have the time or energy or the way to fix this entire mathematical system. We have to then pull these ships and rebuild them under another another thing. And at that point, then it's just like, well, why do we even have this faction if the faction is just, you know, from A to Z broken? Let's just remove that faction. Let's trim it back down to the core factions we want. And then, you know, that, so that's, you know, that's where that kind of decision is made, like really early on in the system like that. So, yeah, that's really interesting. And it's a great point, Mike, about how it, it must get harder and harder to stay balanced within the point cost system, because since the game was collectible combined with the, uh, relatively quick pace of releases there's really it's really hard to know if what you're putting out will stay balanced with what already exists because then there's already you're working on the next set so maybe a unique treasure from set four will get exploited by certain crew a new crew type in set five and then set six is already on the way so that kind of thing it seems like it would be really hard to keep it balanced and keep it all in like a cohesive you know system like you talked about so I can't even imagine how difficult that would yeah, be, and, given and the company pressure. Yeah, and you got to remember, too, yeah, and what's interesting, too, is that, again, the timing of everything, the, the, the period of time where all this came out, that was, the, you know, the Internet was new. People didn't know you can give feedback or people just, you know, it's a, it's a different time now. Now it's if you don't take my feedback, you know. You're, you're, you know, you're the bad guy, Mike. And I'm like, I, I didn't even see your feedback, you know, <laughs> but in the, in the original days, it was, you know, you played a game at home. You didn't give feedback on the internet. There was no uh, rankings and, and, and stuff. There was nothing we did to push that agenda. You know, uh, we had, uh, you know, well, I don't even think we had tournaments or things for pirates, maybe at Gen Con, at the bigger conventions, Gen Con Origins stuff like that we may have done stuff i have no idea if any store did and if they did they were on their own we didn't provide anything yeah um uh and so you know we had that that wasn't even something we did now you know going back you can probably go okay yeah you can do something but you're gonna have to remove these handful full of character you know uh crew or a handful of ships i i wouldn't even even be able to tell you now i'd have to I'd have to get feedback and input. And we never got that. That was not something that the consumer did in, yeah. at that level back then. May, magic really kind of changed the uh, uh, dynamic between the player because when basically when magic said we have a professional tournament, then magic had to stand by its rulings, <laughs> yeah. you know, and had to, had to make consistent global rulings for everybody who plays the game. And so when they did that, that changed how people gave feedback back to the company. They could say, hey, I, every time you play 
card X with card Y, you will win the game. And that's obviously you can't have that if you're doing a tournament or doing anything that's got kind of a winner at the end. But we were never in that position. There may be combos like that in Pirates. I, I don't even know because it just never was a thing we ever had to worry about. And we didn't get the feedback from the fans in that same same way. The only one was that one, I think I told you about this, there was one ship in the original set, and it may be in first printing, and it may have been pulled by second printing or whatever, but there was a ship where, um, and it's not the one where you get a, a derelict ship and you tow it back and you get it. I thought that there was something else, but that was the number, the only one that we panicked about because we didn't realize this is the craziest statement that you're going to make, that I'm ever going to make. Didn't realize that people took it personally if you stole their ship. <laughs> yeah. I took it yeah. to be like, that's a thing that happens. All the pirate ships are stolen English ships. All the, you know, if the Spanish captured a French ship, they just put a new flag on and repainted the outside, you know? It was like, so to me, for a pirate-based game, it was just a logic step that there would be a power like this. But man, oh man, something happened in that first set that came out, and maybe we changed the wording on it so that you have to tow it back before you can claim it or something. But the bottom line was uh, it was devastating. People hated it. They were like, we're never playing this ship. This ship is the worst. Uh, it, you know, it steals ships from people and people are so like, it was kind of like the early days of those kind of take that games where people would steal stuff from other people, yeah. that it just, just was horrid. The reception was like unbelievable how bad wow. that was. It was like, that was the first time I think too, that I put something out. I mean, I made role-playing games for Cripe Safe. We used to get questions about that stuff 24 hours a day. But that was the first time making like a board game or a collectible game or something where we where I saw it, like for pirates for sure. And like I said, it's a long time ago and I could be mis misremembering and that wouldn't be wrong for me. But I could have swore there was a ability in the early pirates that forced a somehow a, a, a change of ownership of a ship. And that was emotionally wrecking, I guess, to people. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably Harbinger may have been the one that started it. And then it, it appeared on uh, Commander Temple, an English crew from Spanish Maine, along with uh, a couple other ships throughout the series. I think what kind of made it less overpowered was you had to explore the derelict, which since Explorer crew only apply to islands, not ships, I think that would help. Uh, that probably helped because it kind of delays the capture. Um, so I think that's probably the nerf that kind of made it reasonable. What was the um, ship? Sorry. Uh, the third one down, Harbinger, PSO-03, um, Pirate 5 Master. You own any derelict the ship explores, both ships become docked at your home island. Oh, uh, yeah, that so, may have been it. Yeah, yeah, it may have been that fact that you get it and then they become instantly pulled over and you had no recourse. It could have been that one, yeah. All yeah. I just remember was it was bad. And so... <laughs> I've heard if you look, you probably don't get in anything else like that for a few sets, because, again, that's the other thing. And you, you spoke perfectly about it. Um, and that is. You know, if you look at the cycle of anything that's collectible, modeled and quick out. So set one comes out, it's a bit of a hit. We're already, we, you know, we're either assuming based on pre-orders or what people are talking about making set two. There might be some more time between a set one and a set two. I can't remember. I think in set two for pirates, it didn't. 
Um, and that's why you'll see a lot of people do like an unlimited version or something like that. They do the first print and then they do a second print. The second print is really uh, the second print of the first release is really there to buy time for the next release. It's not like, oh, hey, we're really helping the fans out there. No, it's usually to buy time. Um, nowadays, that's not the case per se. Like for like for Lorcana, we had already had, we already knew what we wanted to do and we knew we needed a second set. Yeah. So that's totally different mindset. But usually, there's a a lot. You know, there's a little slowdown back in the day. I should say there was usually a slowdown between one and two and one would come out and then there would be like the unlimited run where they fix things for set, you know, unlimited. That was usually to buy time because no one knew whether you would do a set two of anything or a release two. Well, pirates, we got set two out, but when set two is coming out, we're already, you know, by the time it's hitting shelves, we're already deep into set three, Yep. you know, and maybe even concept, you know, depending on the, the cadence, we're already on another thing. So I'm not, I, you know, it's like a, Nobody hired me to say, look backwards and double check things. We do postmortems, but they would be more about like release stuff. What did we do wrong in marketing? Is this the right, you know, thematics? You know, people don't like forts, so let's not do them anymore moving forward. You know, that kind of thing. And so, but it wasn't a deep dive into like, oh my God, the game balance is is all whack or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, uh you know so that was that's the funny thing you you make it perfectly obvious that like unless it's like a screaming you know issue like oh my god this people are upset because they're playing this really cool pirate ship and it's stealing regular ships when you think about it that's exactly what a pirate ship would be but you know i didn't take into consideration that you know uh you know two kids are playing and one kid starts crying because you know his ship that he's cared so much about and put into his army is now in somebody else's hands you know yeah. so uh you know I, I i didn't i mean i thought no go pirates you know? I know. <laughs> so. exactly yeah <laughs> yeah i know it's a brutal game and i've played some players the past few years that kind of don't like certain tactics or certain abilities and stuff like that and i'm like i don't know the game is it's about like really brutal topics. So I don't know. <laughs> people don't sometimes yeah, people that, like yeah, to inject. Back, yeah. That goes back to the whole beginning of like play pattern and how people play the game and how they embrace exactly. the game and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I mean, when we played, you know, we, the game was like hinging on literally two pieces of gold and people were, we were brutalizing each other to yeah. get those exactly. <laughs> two last two pieces of gold. And it was like, you know, there are other games where people will be like, just take those back with you. And they don't even, you know, they don't even challenge, but we were very hyper aggressive in our challenging. Yep. Yeah. That, that, that's definitely good though, because usually the power gamers are the ones that find the exploits fastest. And that kind of gets into another point I had to make about what you said about playtesting earlier is even if you hire 20 playtesters, that you might not get somebody that's like just ruthless and wants to try to win in three turns or two turns or like how yeah. can I how can I get the optimal combination of abilities where like I win ninety percent of the time like you might not find that you might not have that player so it's good to have a variety but also you really want people that are just just desperate to win yeah, it's, as it's, often as possible. Here's the crazy thing about games, Ben and team out there in, in podcast land. There's like there's a thing. All right, by the very nature, you want to win a game. 
Okay, a game exists because it is a diversionary uh, uh, entertainment, entertainment yeah, if you exactly. will. Okay. Um, one of the things that I try to do, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but just from a mic perspective of things, I like to be, I like to consider myself a storyteller. Okay. I'm a storyteller and my mo my my medium, if you will, is games. So, you know, I started in storytelling games, so it made sense that that's how I view everything. So when it came time to do hero clicks, I would work very hard on telling a story with the clicks of the dial. So at where where a character starts and where they end, I can in my mind envision a story of that superhero, uh, you know. Um, and doing what he did. Um, I, when we did Pirates, you know, you'll hear me talk a lot more about the fiction and story and what we tried to do with the story and how we tried to weave that together. Because to me, that was like, I was bringing, you know, numbers are fine, but no one plays a game for the numbers. I mean, some people might say, I totally do. And that's all I care about. And I'm like, super awesome. We had numbers in the game, so you should be happy. But there's also the bigger, wider group that's all about, like, hey, how do I, you know, this is really cool. Oh, my gosh, Pirate X knows Pirate Y, and they have a relationship. And Pirate Y always sinks English guys' ship, you know, whatever. And so there's an antagonism. So building that kind of story is where I live, Okay. So yes, 100%, if you go to my games, you'll find really cool story stuff. If you go to my games and you go, I want to win in three turns, and it's outside the story, and I'm going to play like Ben, and I'm going to play like Mike, and the story, this is really more of a you know, a matching of wills between two people. It just happens to be using the pirates, you know, uh, collectible, uh, the, the pirates, you know, game uh, as it's, you know, playing field if you will yeah. um yeah it's a totally different game then i mean it's a literally a different game and it will be you know in the in the long run of the the mike pantheon of games that's going to be my weakest spot because i don't normally game in that realm you know i don't mm -hmm. normally go and say okay let me look at everything if i take this 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 min max myself to 30 points i'm going to win 80 percent of the games I, I I can't I don't envision that because games mean something different to me and I'm making games so I make them with the thing I know best and yes I absolutely need those guys it's why with my villainous testing I have guys who literally don't even believe I'm trying to tell us so when I tell them dude I can't make that change Disney won't allow it because that's not part of the movie. They're just like looking at me like, what are you talking? What movie? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, no, you don't understand. This is like a, I'm making a story entertainment that's a game. And they're like, oh, I want to win. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to make it sound like you're wrong if that's how you play games. I That is awesome. I do wish every once in a while you'd take the other step back and go, okay, let me play for the fun of playing this character. And you'll get that. You'll find people who are like, I just love playing the Pirates. I don't necessarily need to win. I just have fun playing the Pirates. And you're like, that's... And so you have to make the game... That's the weird thing about games is you have to make the game for all those people. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. You have to tough. make the game sitting down. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. If you don't have somebody looking at your game and power managing it, then that's a that's a hole in your testing. You know, it's something I had to embrace over time because, again, it's not the way I think. I don't think that way. Do I want my game to be balanced and do I want my game to be fun? Yes. But if I don't I don't uh, push the 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 power button very often on a a game, you know, Um, and yet, you know, I make games and I know those people and I watch their results and I look at it and I shake my head and I go, part of me is just like, you're playing my game wrong, which you can't really tell anybody ever. And then the other part of me is like, Oh, thank God they pointed that out. Cause that's a whole, that's a huge problem. Yeah. So it's like a, it's kind of this, like, you know, uh, you know, sword. you know, Mike wants to chastise you, but secretly takes everything that you say really importantly and puts it in his game yeah. to fix the problems <laughs> at hand. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great balancer of my life is to basically do that. But again, that's a new that's not a new thing but the 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 uh it's a new thing coming out of the more modern gameplay scenario um you know you you know the min maxer if you will to use the old uh, role playing game term hmm. they always existed but they didn't have no one made game no one tried to fix their game to get rid of them or to hear what they were doing and then say let's fix our game it was almost always just the other way it was almost you're doing it wrong you're playing the game wrong that's not the way you should play it and in reality what you should be saying to those players is oh my god i see what you just did is there a way within my game to not make it be so obvious to do x to always use the same characters to always use the same powers you know that's you know a, a a thing that evolved again over time a lot of this stuff so you're you, a lot of stuff has changed <laughs> since yeah. pirates came out <laughs> you know since whiz kids came out since there were you know and even and you can still see it i mean a lot of places now go full on you know hey a lot of card games you know now live in that space of power gaming it's power gamer v power gamer, and they don't even care if you want to come in on the story. And if you're not going to step up to the plate and, and you know, <laughs> with the big boys, then we don't even use you. Nice. I don't believe in that. I well, I yeah. don't because none of my companies were those kinds of companies. We're always mass market, biggest, widest audience we can get, grab. So if I can get some little kid who loves pirates playing with their dad and they are playing at a super cash level and just think this game is amazing and now the kid wants to read books and the dad is super proud and happy and tells me all about it, that's just as good as some guy telling me, dude, I found a combination that is going to blow your socks off. (laughs) Because that, to me now, I've hit the whole gambit. If that power gamer doesn't get bored playing the game, or can sometimes turn that down, you know, if they're playing somebody who's, you know, you don't want them to gatekeep the game either. You want them to, to you know, do stuff. But if they can come in and show somebody, hey, you know what, you, you're doing it right. But, you know, like that move that uh, you guys, you showed, you did the thing about the schooner Yeah. Uh, in the last discussion. Yeah, that was always intended. Mainly it was intended to get the, get a ship out of dock really fast. That was yeah. the whole point because that was what a schooner does technically mm-hmm. and um the fact that then you can find a way to little you know cheat yourself on a little you know 
a half a move or a part part of a the thing this. not cheat yourself yeah. but but use the mechanics in a in a way that maybe i didn't intend but is still valid yeah that's awesome yeah. that's exactly what you need but you only get that you only get that i'm sorry you only get that from players who play the game you know what i mean they're in it and they're like deep into the game they're deep into the to the mechanics of the game not necessarily the the lore maybe they're deep into that too but they're also massively deep into the mechanics and they're starting to see little edge cases and, and system things. I think you brought it up to me in a private conversation where you talked about the fact that there was at some point a, uh, uh, like the captain is uh, shoot after you move or uh, yeah. Right. That's the captain's thing. Yeah. Move. And then you, you get a free shot. And then it was like, there was a, something else that was a shoot first and then move. Yep. And I and I at the time when you told me, I'm like, no, I didn't make that guy. But then I think maybe I did somewhere along the line, because to me, that was, again, that's one of those things that a, a, a hardcore gamer is going to go, man, I really wish that I could shoot first and then move. And, and, and you're like, yeah, why isn't that in the game? You know, then I was thinking the more you said it, the more I'm like, didn't I give that to some uh, ship abilities or uh, something? Or maybe a yeah. singular crew guy, uh, a named crew guy. And then I'm like, yeah, that's a good mechanic, you yeah. know? <laughs> so it's like, it's that's what you also get out of the guys who are hardcore gamers is like, there's whole, the, they don't just double down on the, on, the, on the gray area between the mechanics. They also point out where there's no mechanics to do something that would be cool or interesting. So you get that other part of the um, the the dynamic of testing or the dynamic yeah. of, of of game types. You know, you get the two yeah. different uh, perspectives. You know, that's some yeah. that There's going to be a million people who don't know what the hell we're talking about right now. But my guess is on your podcast, there's going to be a million people who are nodding their heads, going, "Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what I do." So yeah. you know, on one end, you got you. On the other end, I'm talking to my buddy Seth. I think he said it to you when he was there. His nephew finds his box, you know, a box of, of uh, chips that he sent him at one time and is like playing now. And he doesn't know the rules or mechanics at all, but he just loves the game. So there yeah. you get, you got your, your yin yang. And, you know, a lot of times companies, at least in the companies I've worked for, WizKids in the early days and now at Ravensburger, they're, we're very much trying to get more mass people to play games because that crowd is larger than the hardcore grinder if you will or the you know the 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 aggressive you know power gamer but it doesn't mean we don't listen to them you know it just means that you know our focus is there if a power gamer comes in and starts playing our game and starting to point out i gotta take notice because one that's an audience and two it's they they are pointing out sometimes stuff that may be broken or in the gray zone but even more so they usually end up pointing out stuff that you wish you would have thought of that you totally didn't so it's it you know uh you're you're absolutely right it, it flows in both directions there but yeah those guys are great and you're absolutely right yeah that's that a really lot right to say hey ben you're right so. <laughs> well you make a really great point mike about how power gamers kind of almost come up with new mechanic ideas because reverse captain may have come in because people are like oh what if i could shoot and then move and then that can kind of become a new thing that becomes a new ability and gets tested and whatnot so that's a really that's a good point it's, about it's power horrible, that I, it's I never horrible name by the way just I, I, that's i think that that's what threw me off when you told me it was like 
And I was like, oh, God, that's a creepy-ass name that I would never use. <laughs> and then I'm like, but the mechanic is actually pretty cool. Yeah. So, Yeah. One thing I've found that kind of helps um, tamp down on, like, power gamers versus more lore-based players or more, like, moralistic players, if you will, is sometimes kind of going into a game and kind of asking the other players, like, what kind of game do you want? Does this should be, does this be more casual? Do you want to play, like, kind of more competitive fleets? or whatever. So usually nowadays, the past few years, especially have kind of made it a point to reach out about that or kind of not always, you don't always have to. I mean, the game is pretty balanced enough to where you don't usually have to, but sometimes it's good to kind of let, let the other players know what you're kind of thinking or try to get their thoughts on. And sometimes it's just knowing the other players. Like I know this guy is a power gamer and I know this other person we're playing is not. So maybe I'll reach out and just kind of get people's ideas on um, what they might want to use and things like that. Um, and to that point, you can even make like tier lists, which is something I might do over time. I'll share a few game modes. I haven't really tested it out, but there's certain things that um, people like to ban, like events and sometimes some of the like best ships or crew in the game. Um, so that's kind of another way of approaching it where you can you can kind of agree on a game mode in advance and be like, OK, this is the ban list for this weekend because we don't want to. We don't want to use all this crazy stuff that allows you to like control other people's ships or like capture a ton of stuff quickly and things of that nature. Um, and then so another player might be like, "Oh, I don't want to play that way, so let's just go all let's go hardcore." Um, so it's kind of fun to have that balance and just kind of let players know in advance of uh, what they should expect. So awesome. All right, so we'll yeah, we'll get the, to the 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 yeah oh yeah it's it's interesting enough. It's kind of funny because. Um, one of the things that is, uh, again, I hate to make it sound like I'm talking about, like, you know, back in the day when we'd have to get on the train to go across <laughs> country, um, you know, and the horses were, you know, took us, you know, I feel like old old Grandpa Simpson sometimes. Um, but the weird thing about, the and it's a positive, so when I say weird, I mean the more, more interesting thing. The interesting thing that happens when you make a community is the community will talk to each other and start to, um, I don't want to say self-regulate, but kind of self-regulate. I guess that's the really word. So, you, yeah. you know. Um, that's a great point. And the type of game played is one of those ways that that happens. And that's a, that's a modern community thing. Um, we, it, it, because what's kind of cool is that there's the players like yourself, Ben, and I, 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 I will laud you forever on this. You're not a gatekeeper. You're at, you're at, you know, uh, the two places here in Seattle that I've seen you play games and you're willing to talk about the game. You hand out a booster pack. Sometimes if you have one, you, you talk about your website, you show people what's going on. And it's a very, now I know you. And I also know that if we sat down and said, Ben, we're playing the most competitive kick-assian 60 point pirate game in the history of time, you'd be like, I'm in. So you're able to divide that between the types of games and the types of audience. What and that's actually way more modern. It the pendulum has swung a lot. It used to be that was the only way to play, very casual, everything was casual. Then it became over time, it became very much um gatekeeped games. Games at all, not just pirates, but a lot of games. Um uh 
where you couldn't play Shadowrun Battletech. You couldn't play, you know, a certain board game unless you owned all the parts of the board game. Every expansion that came out, read every book, and there's a, there was this level of gatekeeping that you were not playing the right game if you didn't play all the game of everything put out. Hmm. With the modern social dynamics of the social medias, the on, on, online presence, podcasting, talking to people, like you just said, it, the pendulum is now swung back. There is absolutely nothing wrong if you and I sit down and, like I said, play the most intense game of pirates we've ever played, literally min-maxing every mechanic and rule we know. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. That is not the game that you're going to play if it's my first game. Yep. You know, you're going to go, okay, well, I'm just going to take my standard 40-point thing. I may let Mike figure some stuff out as we're playing. I won't crush him and turn three like I could. You know, you're going to you're going to understand the scenario in which the game is being played. That's new. And that is wonderful to see from my standpoint as a game designer, because the smarter the gamers are with who they're playing with, it one, it makes my job a lot easier, trust me, but it also makes the scenario in, more interesting in the sense that I'm not busting somebody's chops because they don't know what a captain does, you know, yeah. or they don't quite understand how movement works. I'm not a belittle, belittling them or I'm not sending them out. And if they never get to the point where you and, you know, let's play, you know, 60 points, live or die, you know, type of game. They are um, they are fans for life. They may never get there, but they all now know this is a pretty cool game. There's a group out there. That group is friendly to them, and will have maybe they'll explain some stuff they don't know. Maybe they'll get up and go, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I didn't think of that strategy." All that kind of stuff comes, and that's like the learning curve. It's funny in the earliest days of games because I think games were seen. Um, as this, like, you know, you're the, you know, the nerd guy or whatever nerd girl and you're all, all, you know, with your nerd friends and you're playing nerd stuff because it was that, and you kind of felt like you were already outsiders. And so we'll walk anybody else who feels like an outsider and welcome them into our, our community of playing games. Then it kind of went away It kind of went to the other extreme of if you don't already know the game, we don't want you around, which is like the opposite of where it all started, which is always the one, the thing that actually kind of hurts me the most when I hear people say stuff like that. Um, And now it's kind of going back where people are playing games and they're like, they're one, they're willing to play with a bunch of different people. Now COVID screwed a bunch of shit up that we can get into the whole societal gaming thing after a a worldwide pandemic and you know maybe there's you know some other stuff but just the 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 understanding hey what kind of game do you want to play of this game we both love dude that is like so huge and such a modern and interesting way to to do that like you know to handle that we didn't do it at WizKids. We didn't set up uh, unlimited, you know, semi-limited, you know, uh, closed tourney game system for this. 
so the the fans or the stores willing to do that you know whoever that is awesome you know and saying hey we don't want you to play we don't i don't know when you say that uh i'm, a little, I'm just looking at your list um what is it what are game what is universal pirate shipping strategy oh yes so i was gonna i'm gonna send you that actually after um, so but it's gonna take the a fact while to that explain. you say, "Hey, we're not going to use these ships because they <laughs> use this kind of mechanic stuff," yeah, all right, that's fine. Who cares? I don't care. You know, are you having fun playing "quote unquote" semi-limited? Do some ships don't some ships and pieces? Looking at this list here, not fit that uh, model. Yeah, all right, that's cool. You know, yep. um, I, I, there's there's nothing bad about that because if both players are agreeing, and both or both or all players are agreeing to the system and set up that's fine and what's crazy about that is that stuff moves you know you might end up saying uh there's some other stuff that you know could work or not work in it yeah i'm there's nothing that stops that from happening and i really like that approach i mean to me that's mature it's interesting it's fun for everyone that's the other thing is technically we're making a game and at a game you should be having fun you know, uh, people always go, oh, gaming's brand new. And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, no. when you look at the history of stuff, no. it's not really new. People used to, you know, in the – Ben, this is the great story. Um, when, you know, people talk about, oh, it's all a brand new thing. No, in the 1800s when people were going to their, you know, country estate and would have the, you know, lords and ladies and the – the other people and the viscounts and everybody would come and visit and they'd sit down and they would play whist, which is an early version of, uh, or a parallel version of bridge. You know, they would sit down and play that. Okay. Well, in my part of the country, which people don't get to except for once a year, we evolved and started playing it this way. And then in another part of the country who people only go to once a year, we evolved and started playing it that way. That's where, um, Hoyle's book of uh, uh, Hoyle's when card games and Hoyle's rules came from. Hmm. It came from the fact that all of these people playing these card games would make up their own rules to meet the demand <laughs> of the crowd that they're playing with. They may yeah. be super hardcore. Could be like we we play over tea and crumpets and we don't play very much. Or we're from France and we made these eleven changes to the rules. You know, and so. It, 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 it what we're doing now is nothing different than what was done in the 1800s when they needed to codify the games to make sense. Here we're saying you're saying, hey, if you're gonna play tournament, you're gonna play a certain kind of game. Here's a codified set of rules that hopefully we can all agree on, and you know you get the thumbs up. I get it. You know I see that people are like, oh my god, this is like awesome. This is really great. I, I'm gonna use this. That's awesome that is incredible outreach and incredible not gatekeeping because you're like look i don't know what you like but if you are going to play like a hardcore super limited let's all be on the same playing field kind of game here are the rules i made for that and people either agree to it or don't agree with it that's them but you're gonna it's gonna evolve over time that's great it's really cool so that was a lot of weird stories to tell you about how i really like this awesome <laughs> Yeah, good to hear it. I think one thing that kind of makes it easy to spread a game that's collectible and has a lot of, I guess, or at least a decent amount of random chance in it is that with Pirates, 
for experienced players or people that are really good, when they're playing new players, it's really easy to handicap yourself just to kind of get into an even playing field because you can just use worse ships and crew. Um, and then they're using like average ones or maybe better than average. Um, and whether or not they know that maybe doesn't matter. And you end up with a close score uh, just because you're using slower ships or whatever. And also the random chance aspect where, you know, maybe sometimes you think about, you think strategically about what terrain you want to put in, but maybe when you're playing somebody brand new, maybe you just randomize it. Or maybe your choices, you're like, oh, I never used Sargasso C, so maybe I'll throw those in. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll roll a die and the result will be what type of terrain I put in today, even if it's worse for my fleet. So I think unlike, I mean, of course, chess is legendary, but for example, like chess, you kind of have to, it's more skill-based um, at the end of the day. So you have to, you almost have to like make the wrong moves on purpose. Whereas with pirates, collectible games and games with more luck, you can kind of just, you can fudge a little more easily um, to introduce people to it effectively. So then you're not just stomping new players and making them not want to play again because either they, they didn't have as good of a fleet or another thing that, um, that I think is kind of dangerous with collectible games is when people spend more money and they have better results because of that, like, Oh, my deck costs, my Yu-Gi-Oh deck costs $600. So of course I'm going to beat somebody that doesn't have, you know, the budget, which I think is another cool thing about pirates is a lot of the common ships are the best in the game. And a lot of times some of the limited editions that are going for like 40, 50 bucks a ship on eBay right now are some of the, no, no offense at all, but like some of the worst ships. Um, so it's kind of cool how, you know, it's easy to introduce new players to it, but just by adjusting a little bit of stuff and being like, okay, I'm obviously I'm not going to be a power gamer today. And I'm also not going to bring out, you know, my expensive 10 master because I know that they only have three packs to play with. So, so I think it's, it's easy and fun to yeah, balance it, things out. It, yeah. Number one, I am not offended by whatever anything sold by on eBay. I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't, don't feel like, yeah. you owe me no, a, I just mean with the ships. You need to be careful around it. I have, I have no idea. Um, Secondly, yeah, that's that's a again, and this goes back to a question you asked me um, last time, and then kind of what we talked about earlier today. When you have a closed point system, what you're going to find is your best ships are going to be right in that sweet spot where I can get three to four ships in. You know, um, so let's say in a twenty point game, uh, or excuse me, a thirty point game, you know, you're looking at you know ships that are in the like seven to ten realms so that you yeah. can maybe get three of them in um and you know maybe maybe that's even high maybe six to nine realm maybe so that you can you you can maybe even get a, a even a cheaper ship that doesn't really do much but you can get four in there when you went to 40 points which is one of the other reasons we did it because we were realizing how much we were really squeezing people and we we're starting again a second point of feedback that we got was that we were starting to see the People play the same fleets. They get them getting a new release of new cards did not really change their play habits. You know, if you found a fleet that you liked, it was really hard to do a one-to-one swap of saying, "Oh, I'm going to take out this eight-point pirate ship for an eight-point pirate ship from another set," or you know, I'm playing the English and I'm going to swap everything for you know Norse ships or something. The math, the it, while it would seem the math would be a one-to-one because of the abilities and their crews and their other powers, it wasn't always. And so we moved it up to 40 so that you had that play of being able to get some other chip combos and other things in there. But that means that those, by default, those ships become more valuable in gameplay because they fit the model. They're fitting in that 
that sweet spot of how do I get three or four ships in. Um, and so, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me when you say like, hey, that, you know, the common ships, the, the seven to nine point ships are going to be much better or much more needed and wanted than maybe a 14 point ship, you yep. know, that's rare because, uh, you know, it's hard to get them into a good point combo, you know, it's, it, it, so yeah, that makes perfect sense to me from that standpoint. I couldn't tell you which one was better or worse or anything like that at this point. But yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And you're absolutely right. And therefore, it is kind of a funny little scenario where because of that, the point system, it did make the collectible chase different than it does for like a regular collectible card game, you know, where the chase here was, do I want the complete set of, you know, we've what we narrowed it down to was, do you want the complete set of the of a faction? Then it was, do you want, you know, and then at that point, then if you, let's say, got all the pirates from set five, then it was like, okay, well, then, do, you know, what's what's the new fact, or do I want all the new faction? Usually that's how it drove. New faction, then pirates, and then other factions, and then by that time it was like, how close can I get the full set? Which is different than a lot of how the modern um because of the speculator market, it's like what is the what is going to be the card that sells? It's usually going to be the rare one because everybody wants a complete set of everything, and therefore the the, the chase and the and the collection model is different now. I mean, dude, I, I I say it, but man, it was a really innocent days when we came out with this game. <laughs> yeah. It was really innocent <laughs> based on the you know modern uh, zeitgeist or whatever. The modern collectible mindset purchase model system. We were we were like babies. We were so innocent. It's unbelievable that, <laughs> that you know that that's the case. So it doesn't surprise me that like maybe things that somebody might say in a modern day would be su- the super hard to get, super rare, super expensive things are actually not. They're actually the more game playable pieces, just because we didn't do that. Awesome. All right, that concludes this part of the interview with the amazing Pirates game designer, Mike Mulvihill. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, whether that's a comment on YouTube, follow-up questions in the thread at Pirates with Ben, or commentary on Discord or Facebook. Make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. There are links in the description for this episode where you can find some of the links and resources I used, and there's also an affiliate link to buy Pirate CSG items on eBay. Consider using that link as a way to support all my efforts to keep the game alive and hopefully even revive it as well. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.